Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Probably the least helpful translation of the word is ghost, you know, the coming of the Holy Ghost, because we think of ghost as being Casper the friendly ghost and, you know, sheets and broomsticks and stuff. But that in the Hebrew word, that was the same. Spirit, ghost, wind and breath. Timid Peter, who'd been pretty chicken sort of a guy, is that going to work? It is. He was transformed, wasn't he? And he spoke uh, boldly without being scared at all. And that very day, it said that 3,000 believers are added to the church. And 3,000 believers, think of that. Now, they had 120 believers. Then they had 3,120 What was the first thing they did with all those people? They baptized them. So it was a big deal. 120 people had to baptize 3,000 somehow. How did they do it? I don't know. Where did they do it? I don't know. It doesn't say, but we know they were baptized. How would that look here? And in fact, today's message, I'm going to, uh, I've called it the Fellowship of the Believers, which is the title that the New International Version puts above this little piece of the Bible. And the question is, how would that look here? What happened next? Uh, how those new, new believers grew in their faith, how they lived during this next bit of time when something absolutely amazing had happened. How many believers were there? Yeah, 3,120 that day. But the, the Bible actually says they had more each day. So a rapid period of growth in the church. And here are our focus questions for today. Sorry, I do have to turn around because it's not up there. Do we live like this? And the next question is, could we live like this? And the next question is, should we live like this? Would we want to? Now, when I was a teenager, I used to look at this passage of the Bible and go, wow, that's the way Christians should live. This is great. This is how we live. And I could actually be quite judgmental on some older Christians who didn't live like that. As I got older, I realized why sometimes things need to change, or perhaps that couldn't be the way we live all the time nowadays. But The question I'm going to ask you is, what would happen if we did? Should we? Would we? Uh, And today, I'm not giving the answers. I'm just asking some questions and asking you to think. And that's quite unusual, isn't it? Because usually Jeremy stands up, he says, right, okay, everyone, the Bible says we should do this. So let's do it. All right. That's me usually. But today, today, I'm not. I'm saying, look, here are some questions. How could this work for you? How could it work for us, this bit of the Bible doesn't tell us what to do. It tells us how, what they did. I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell a leadership team what to do either because I'm not a leader of the church. So the, the, the a question is, is this an ideal way to live? So let's unpack this passage. Let's have a look at it. Now, all the Bible verses are going to be on the what do you call that thing, screen, you can look at your Bible if you like, but where there's little divergences or controversies, I'll draw your attention to them. So up to you. You can follow in your Bibles or you can just look up there. So let's have a bit of a look at it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let's look a bit at that. I'm going to unpack this in quite some detail. It's a very short passage. What does being devoted mean? Do you know? You're devoted. He's so devoted to his cat. He's so devoted to his car. If you're devoted to something, what do you do? Yeah, you kind of, your life revolves around, doesn't it? 
right? So let's get up, let's have breakfast, let's brush our teeth and put our clothes on because we can't wait to get to hearing the apostles. What are they going to tell us today, these apostles? We're so excited about it. They devoted themselves to that and to fellowship. Oh, and I could ask, uh, why the apostles' teaching? Why the apostles? See, the, the apostles had only been Christians for how long? Three years, that's right. Is there anybody here who's been a Christian for longer than three years? All right, here's a bit of a challenge for you. Obviously, the apostles were the ones to teach then because they'd been with Jesus right through. They'd spent a lot of time with him and he'd spent a lot of intensive time with them talking to them about things that he hadn't told other people, all right? The apostles were the best equipped to teach. Please remember that what we call the New Testament, which is all the stories of Jesus, the things he said, the letters that Christians wrote to each other, uh, visions and all sorts of stuff, all of that didn't exist. All of it didn't exist. If you wanted to know about Jesus, about what he said and what he did, you had to talk to somebody who'd known him. That was the only way. So you needed somebody who knew what they were doing, or who knew what they were talking about. But what I'm going to say is a lot of you have known Christian and have known Jesus Christ for longer than the apostles had. Imagine that. You can read in your Bible, and I hope you do, all the things Jesus said. Not all of them, the Bible says, but what they could fit in there. You can read advice from wise Christians of those early days. You can study, in fact, the, the teachings of, of later Christians, people of our day. You can listen to the TV or you know, things like that. You can get all sorts of knowledge. So actually, if you've been a Christian for a while, you should be a teacher too, uh, in one way or other. All right? Now, if, ben, if I said to Bernice Watkins, okay, Bernice, next week you're giving the sermon, her, her, um, she, she'd give me the kind of possum in the headlights. But the fact is that there's very much we can learn from Bernice Watkins. She's been a Christian a long, long time. She's been through some difficult times. Her life isn't always easy. And by watching her and the grace with which she handles it, Bernice is in fact a teacher. So here's a challenge to you, two challenges. Devote yourself to good teaching, to listening to people who know what they're talking about and have proven that they walk a good Christian life. But also remember, if you know the Lord, you can be a teacher yourself. There's a role for you to help others. Told you I was going to unpack it in some detail, didn't I? What's fellowship? They devoted themselves to fellowship. What is fellowship? Meeting with other people. People, people said to me, not so much now, but two or three years ago, hey, we're just going around to so-and-so's place for fellowship. They used the word. We're, we're hanging around at so-and-so's place. We're having fellowship. What would that fellowship entail? Well, it'd probably entail coffee, according to Jenny. It seems everything seems to be revolved around that. But past that, I, I never said, so, so tell me about it. What are you doing in this fellowship? But, but what happens is people talk about life, how they're getting on. And they bring wise things in that God says about it. They'd encourage each other. Probably might be a bit of bits and pieces changed hands if people were going through a hard time. People would give them things. And so fellowship was a time of enjoying the fact that other people know the Lord too. We're meant to be corporate Christians, aren't we? So time of fellowship. Now, lockdown in New Zealand showed us that there are other ways of doing fellowship. And that video we just watched up there with all those people... I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing, you see. The, people seem to manage to have fellowship through these things like Skype and FaceTime and telephones and all these things people have that I don't understand, all right? So this, the, the whole point is to engage with someone else, isn't it? To ring someone up. And a lot of people have said at this church, I loved getting the phone calls. We were in lockdown, but we phoned people up. And people go, hey, that's good. I like it. 
It makes me realise that I'm remembered, that I'm important, that's a good thing. Now, with all these phones and gizmos that we can use to fellowship with other people, I also see a problem as well. And I'll tell you a little story. I was sitting at Easter camp at the campfire. It's a huge campfire. And everybody's sitting around it on logs. There's guitars playing and lovely singing and the fire and the singing. And I thought, wow, this is great. I love this. It like, takes me back, you know, 50 years. Oh, I just, oh, I'm a teenager again sitting around the fire. But you know what half of them, well, half. You know what a whole lot of them were doing? You do, don't you? See, so I'm thinking, this is nuts. Live in the moment, guys, you know. I'm pleased to see that you guys aren't doing that. Because sometimes I think fellowship means let's live in the moment. Heck, we're here, aren't we? We made it. So let's enjoy it. Let's be a part of it. We are here. But at Easter camp, campfire, I'm thinking, you guys are nuts. They're probably telling their mates what they're doing. I don't know. So, so please realise electronics can be part of the answer. It can keep us in touch. But it can also take us away from where we're meant to be, which is here and now. Enjoy your brothers and sisters. All right. Wonder what the breaking of bread was. What do you reckon that was? Could be communion, couldn't it? Where they actually broke bread in the way Jesus had taught us to remember his death. But I put it to you that it quite well could have been also having lunch, all right? Breaking of bread would have been used for both. So people have a meal, and perhaps at the end of the meal, they'd remember Jesus in the way that he specially set up. Maybe, eh? That'd be it, wouldn't it? And what prayer? And to prayer, they devoted themselves to prayer. Some translations say, to the prayers. I don't know quite what the difference is. But that didn't mean like the traditional karakia where you just taught some rote formula. People think that if they say or chant the right stuff, God will listen. No, God wants us to pray in a way that's from the heart, doesn't he? They actually speak normally to him. And, and because he's our Heavenly Father, he's glad to listen to us. So you don't need to learn a whole lot of fancy prayers if you're a Christian. Let's have a look at the next verse. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, that word awe is one that we do need to talk about because it's lost its meaning in the last only 10 years in your lifetime. When you were born, Dante, awe meant something a bit different to what it does now. Because people go into kindergarten, they go, wow, Dante, that's an awesome picture. It wasn't. It was quite a good picture. It's pretty good. But it wasn't awesome. Picasso's Guernica is an awesome picture. Because when you stand in front of it, it takes your breath away. And you have to just stand there in silence for half an hour. And nobody goes around saying, please be quiet, this is an art gallery. Because you can't speak from the, deep, the depth of the thing. And when you go home, that night, you try to sleep. And this awesome picture is in your mind. You can't get it out of your mind. Because awe is something that absolutely captivates you. The word's been thrown away in the last few years. And that's why some versions of the Bible, perhaps maybe it's better. But, uh, the King James Version of the Bible says, And fear came upon every soul. Whoa! Goodness! Something amazing's happening here. People like to downplay this. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And people go, oh, of course, it doesn't mean we're scared of God. One version of the Bible I quoted in a sermon used, it said, a healthy respect for God is the beginning of wisdom. And in another place, it says, when the inhabitants of the land uh, 
heard that the Israelites were coming, they were terrified. Now they use the same, they translate the same word as healthy respect and terrified. I don't think that's very honest. So the fear of the God, certainly it's a healthy respect for God, but also we know that we should be a bit scared of God too. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can only kill your body. Fear rather the one who has the power to cast both body and soul into hell. Well, that's pretty big time awe, isn't it? That's not just a, that's an awesome picture stuff. It's bigger than that. I think it's good to be a bit scared of God. When we were kids, we were a bit scared of our dad. But only, only on one occasion, only on, in one circumstance. Can you guess what it was? Why? Why would we be scared of our dad? Because we'd been naughty. That's right. We weren't scared of Dad when he came in from work. Hi, Dad. How was it? But if we'd been naughty, ooh, ooh, look out. Here comes Dad. All right? He had a horny hand. He did he? <laughs> Dad. Okay. So we were. <laughs> so the, the word actually, the, the Greek word is phobos, right? Now you recognize that, don't you? Once again, this word has changed its meaning in the last 10 years, but what does the word phobia mean? Ooh, a spider! Ah! See, you've got arachnophobia, a completely irrational fear of spiders, because in New Zealand there's no reason to be scared of them, all right? In Australia, that's, yeah. All right? Claustrophobia. I can't stand being shut up, all right? A phobia, before the, the, uh, the gay lobby changed it, a phobia meant that you're totally, well, they did, didn't they? You see? You see, um, homophobia and Islamophobia are nothing to do with that. They've changed the meaning. But that word phobos is a scare. So I'm making the point here, we should be a bit scared of God. Now, why the apostles' miracles? Why were wonders and signs performed by the apostles? Well, they were. They'd been the apprentices, hadn't they? They'd been there when Jesus was doing his miracles and they'd watched it and they were endued with power on high to do it. But as time went on, you will find that miracles were done by others as well. And I have seen miracles done by brand new Christians. Have you? Yes. The great commission that Jesus gave his disciples says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. He was talking to the apostles. Did he command the apostles to preach the gospel? Then they were meant to teach us to do it. Did he command the apostles to heal the sick? Then they were supposed to teach us to do it. Did he command the, the apostles to raise the dead? Yes. Then he was, they were supposed to teach us to do it. That was their job, teaching us to do that. Down a bit of a chain over 2,000 years, all right? And in fact, uh, God does still raise people from the dead. Uh, now, let's, let's have a look at this. When, when Paul received his sight... God didn't send one of the apostles to do it. Who did he send to pray for Paul? Paul was a scary dude. He hated Christians. He was killing them. And so God picks a great band of courage to go and see Paul and talk to him about his salvation and to receive his sight. Who does he pick? Ananias, who's scared stiff. What? I can't go see him. He's killing the Christians. Ananias, he wasn't even famous for anything else. I don't think I've read about him anywhere else. But God chose little old Ananias to go and do a mighty work because God wants us to. I know two cases where people have prayed and God has raised the dead. And in both cases, the first one was Lorraine, and she was just a, 
a teenage girl who'd gone off the rails but cried out to God and God raised her baby from the dead. The second one was a young nurse who was down in the South Island, scared stiff because a patient was dying and she couldn't find a doctor. And when the, doc- when the patient did die, she, she just suddenly knew in her heart, hang on, I'm a Christian. And she prayed and the patient was raised back to life. So I know two instances and neither of them were big shot Christians at all. They were just ordinary young people. In Lorraine's case, she wasn't even a Christian at all. But she cried out to God, and God did the miracle, as he does. Let's have a look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. What does that mean? One mind? They had everything in common. Not just the mind. How much bigger than that, isn't it? Everything, all right? Lana, I was there one day when Lana, we were talking to a lady, and, and Lana said, she said to the lady, oh, I go to Jeremy's church now, and then it's like, boom, the penny drops, she says, actually, it's my church. And it is, you see? It is Jeremy's church, it is her church, it's yours, this is our church. Now, some people in the world, they say, that's mine, this is my car, this is my house, this is my, that's my book, that's my mind. You see kids in, in school, like, that's mine, 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 mine. And a lot of adults live like that too, not all. But with Christians, it's ours. This is ours. This is our stuff. Not just believers. I mean, some people are very kind. Uh, I had a neighbor who's best known as Old Man Croft, and he said to me, you don't need to buy one. He said, just borrow mine. But you know the rules, he said. Now, he's an old farmer. He had all the gear. You know, anything I'm likely to need, he, he had it. And I was welcome to borrow it. Don't buy it. Use mine. But what are the rules? Come on, you tell me. Bring it back what? Bring it back, no, better than you found it. Okay, so you bring it back, clean and tidy. If anything needs fixing, you fix it. If anything's wrong with it, report it. Or if you can't fix it, all right? Those are the rules. So the next time he goes to use it, it's there and it works. And, uh, and, uh, and Doug, Doug loved it. After I fixed his truck up, he rang up and he says, could you please borrow my truck? I said, I said what's up? He says, because the guy at the RSA wants to borrow it and I don't want him to borrow it. I'd rather say that, sorry, it's out. Because Doug wasn't very assertive. And so he lent me the truck for a year, solely so that the man at the RSA couldn't borrow it, and uh, Doug knew the truck would be maintained and everything would be right on it. So there's two sides of it, eh? He was known as a grumpy old man, but after we'd been living next to him for a while, Janet said, he's not a grumpy old man. He's a very kind old man whose kindness has been abused time after time. He was. Now, I'm going into some experiences of my own. I used to have a bike called Harley. Harley was a Honda, and Honda, a Honda 90, in fact. And, and Harley Honda, I used to use them to get around when I lived out in Waikokoi in the countryside. When I came to town, I wasn't using them. So uh, the boys said, oh, could we use Harley to, to have fun on us? Yeah, sure. So a bunch of boys uh, took Harley over. You'd remember this. They took Harley over, and they, they used to zoom around behind Murray and Jenny's place up on a farm that doesn't exist anymore, it's a subdivision, and, and, they, and they had the, like the, these real cool bikes like Henderson's would ride, and then Harley sort of tried to keep up in the background. The boys had a whole heap of fun on it, but we made one mistake. In the end, Harley got wrecked because he ran out of oil. But the trouble is, I'd lent it to the boys. What I should have done was lent it to one boy, Andrew, Ian, David, Craig, didn't matter who, but if I'd lent it to one boy then it's your job to look after Harley and Harley would have got the oil and Harley wouldn't be wrecked and knowing Jeremy, I'd still be riding the flipping thing 50 years later, all right? So one thing I've learned about having all things in common is it's still good to have someone in charge. 
Yeah? Some people are going, yeah, we know that, Jeremy, all right? Uh, I was talking to Janie one day, and I said, Janie, Janet reckons that if we gave everybody everything they want of ours and lent everybody everything they want, we wouldn't have anything at all left. And Janie says, that's exactly right, Jeremy. So it's been confirmed. Last week, a chappie asked to borrow my van again, and I thought, ah, he borrowed my car, he crashed it. The first I knew was when the lawyer of the person he crashed into got in touch with me. He didn't even tell me. And, and I'm just at that stage in my life where I think, I've got three vehicles which need major work. I'm just not up for this. So I said, no, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. I'm not going to venture my van. <laughs> so was it me? You know, the, the early disciples had all things in common. But there's two sides to it, eh? If you're using something that's somebody else's, look on it as a privilege. Be careful with it. And if it is, if something does go wrong, report it. Heck, I lent my van to one guy to take a whole bunch of teenagers down to parachute. He drove all the way with the back brakes burned out. No back brakes. Horrendously dangerous. The reason why? Because the previous person to borrow it drove it to Morrinsville with the handbrake on, burned them out, and gave it back. I said, everything all right? Yeah, fine. So completely unknown, I gave a person a very dangerous fan to drive a bunch of teenagers because I didn't know. So if something's wrong, say, around here too. If you see something around this church that doesn't work, say, hey, look, this needs fixing. Fix it if you can. Now, our local culture has got this whole all things common completely wrong, all right? It's just, there's a whole scrounge culture around Huntley. I'm being really blunt, as I am. Uh, People often think, all things in common, cool, I can use your stuff. Thanks, I'll take it. And this leads to huge problems. You know what my work is. I help people who get into unmanageable debt. And one of the big drivers, big drivers of this is adult children who don't pay their way. They think having all things in common means I will scrounge off my mum usually forever. And so we get these things where I, in some cases, we can put that right. and say, hey, the problem here is your adult kids aren't paying their way. And in some cases, like recently, we had a woman with big debt problems, which completely came right. She didn't even need to do the CAP program. Once I set them all up, and says, okay, what have all your adult kids paid equal shares in the expenses? That did it. She didn't need the CAP program at all. Uh, If I ring up age concern about elder abuse, they can't help me because most of the elder abuse that goes on in this town is boys in their late teens or early 20s taking advantage of mothers in their 50s. Age concern can't help me because they're under 65. It's a huge thing. And if the mothers say to the boys, look, You need to pay your way here. I can't afford to feed you. Sometimes the mothers stick up for them. Oh, well, he only gets $180 a week on the doll. I said, well, how much does he give you? Well, it's $60 for cigarettes. Well, hello, get a job or whatever. But in other cases, the mother will say, look, I I want you to start paying something towards your keep. You've got an income. And the boy's answer is, I'm using the word boys, not young men. The boy's answer is to smash the house up. So now the mother still has no money, but she has a $1,000 debt to fix the rented house. This is so common that some of you would be surprised and others of you nod and go, yeah, we know. Go around here, find a smashed up house, and I'll tell you, nine chances out of ten, 
It's an adult, should be adult son, has smashed it up because he's grumpy with his mum. A kuya around this district told me some years ago, she said, people have the totally wrong idea about Māori culture. They think that Māori culture is scrounging. She said, it isn't. There's an older woman telling me this. Māori culture is we all help with the work and we all help share the benefits. That's what Māori culture is. She was really cross at the way that it's being twisted. Now, this is a proverb that I like so well that I've made posters up and I've gone into people's houses and put them on a wall. It says, Nā kūturauro, ka ora ai te iwi. With your basket and my basket, we'll sustain everyone or we'll bring life and health to the people. All right? So everybody brings something. That's what have all things in common means. We all bring something. And we all take something. That's what those white racks are all about inside the door there. Oh, I've got too many mandarins. All right, put them there. And somebody goes, I haven't got any, thanks. And they take them away. Got it? That's what it is. What can you bring? What can you bring? Murray and I heard a man called John Wimber, and he was in a huge church. And a man came up and he said, look, I'm good at vacuum cleaners. Can I look after all the church's vacuum cleaners? John and I so wish somebody would come in this church and say that, don't we, John? We'd love that. So there's, there's something you can do, whatever it might be. We had a man here called Bruce, and he was on the dole. He didn't like being on the dole, but he just couldn't find paid employment, so he said to his family, right, New Zealanders are supporting our whole family, feeding us, giving us what we need, so I'm going to help them. And he just went out, and he fixed fences, and he fixed doors for old ladies, and he cleaned up gardens and did what he could, because he said, since society's supporting us, I'm going to do my bit. And you can probably guess that paid work came out of that. But he had that attitude of giving, not just taking. Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than receive. Let's have a look at verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You got that? So here's somebody in need, and somebody else says, look, I've got a beach house. I don't really need that. So they sell it, and they give the money to help the poor. Or I've got two TVs, I don't need whatever. A car I'm not using. It worked. That's how they did it. Looking at that and thinking about it, I can see a problem with that, can you? It's not might not be sustainable. Unless lots and lots of new believers keep coming in, we'll run out of stuff to sell to give away, won't we? And uh, at this time, I'm going to sow a new idea in today's sermon. Could it be possible that this is way of life was for a time? This was the way to live for a while while certain things took place. A time of upbuilding, a time of refreshment, a time of strengthening and equipping, because God knew that this time wouldn't last. Those happy days were going to end. There was a terrible time of persecution coming. It was predicted by Jesus. And it could happen at any time to any one of us. You will know what this picture, or well, you might know what that picture shows. The Christchurch massacre, how many people died in that? 50, was it? 50. 51. 51 people died in the Christchurch massacre. It shocked the whole world. New Zealand was shocked. Jacinda handled it very well, explaining that these people who died were, were us. This was an attack against us all. There was a time of unity, an outpouring of grief. The whole world came in behind us. But that very same week in Central Africa, 151 Christians were butchered simply for being Christians and nobody really even noticed. You know why? 
because it happens all the time. All over the world, Christians are being massacred, having their property taken, being beaten up and persecuted simply because they're Christians. Remember them in prayer, please. This week in Central Africa, 47 Christians were murdered. But it's just the weekly tally. It doesn't make the news. Just ordinary poor people going about living their lives in their little quiet villages and people come in and kill them all. A shocking business. It could happen at any time. This was May the 3rd. We don't often get photographs, but that's the Chinese police bashing up worshippers in a place, uh, in a church called Xinguang Church. On the 3rd of May, they came in, they, uh, they beat up the worshippers who were just worshipping God quietly, and that man had his ribs broken. It's not often that we get the photographs. On the 11th of June, they actually burst into the worship service like this. They started beating up the people and they took all the furniture, stripped the wall fitting. They began to demolish the building. And the pastor of that church says, there was a time when the police pretended to kind of obey the law, but they don't anymore. They just don't care at all. That's China. It could happen to us. We don't know when our time is coming. Already the governments in the US, Britain and New Zealand are making it harder for Christians, aren't they? They're moving against our freedom of speech. Things which we were allowed to do just to be Christians are becoming harder to do. The US, the persecution is really cranking up. So let's build ourselves up while we can. We're allowed to meet together, aren't we? So let's do it. So many people aren't. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Why the temple courts? There was space there, wasn't there? Do you remember why there was space in the temple courts? Because Jesus cleared out all the animals and all the money sellers. And where they were was the outer court, the only place in the temple where non-Jews could go. Now at the beginning of the story that I'm telling, they were all Jews. But that changed later. And as other non-Jews came in to the fellowship, then they were allowed to go to the outer court as well. Now, there's no mention, in fact, of everybody meeting all together at once, the whole 3,000 of them. It doesn't say that they ever did. It said that they fellowshiped, that they met together. But how? Huge gatherings or just here and there? We, don't, we actually don't know. The important thing that the Bible stresses is they met together. Maybe they, maybe they all got together somewhere on Sabbath. I don't know. They might have. Or they might have just gone to their own little local synagogues. Maybe some of them met on Sunday because Sunday was the day off for the Roman Empire. That was the day when you didn't have to go to work. So perhaps they started, some of them started to meet on Sundays. I don't know. But the thing is, they did meet together. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Now, eating together is a powerful thing to do. Jesus used to get in trouble for a lot of things. But the biggie was that he ate with people who were bad people. He ate with sinners. And when we actually go and have a feed with someone, we're pretty much saying, we're with you on this. When we have a porphyry, what does it end with? A feed. Because once we've eaten together, we're all tongue at the fan. That's the way the porphyry works. Now, Governor Hobson, as each chief signed the Treaty of Waitangi, he said this, Heiwi tahi tato. Now, it's not very good Māori grammar, if you can speak Māori, but it's clear what the meaning is. It means we're all one people. And he was sincere. There are huge stresses and pressures 
to divide our society in all sorts of ways. But one of the biggest of all is to divide Māori people from non-Māori people. That was never the intention. The intention was to bring us all together. The third article makes it clear that the Māori people and the non-Māori people, we're all one in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of, of New Zealand, the same laws, the same responsibilities. With the huge pressures that are coming on us, largely from the government, to separate out. Here's the government saying, we're a team of five million. Now, having said that, let's separate out as much as we can. We have to stand and show that we're all united. And in this room, we've got people who were born in New Zealand, and we've got immigrants. I'm one. We've got Māori and we've got Tauiwi, the people who arrive later. We've got people with jobs and people without. We've got people who are quite well off and people who are quite hard up. We've got old and young. And if New Zealand's going to work, we need to show the way that we can all get on. And that's one reason, one reason we're going to eat together today. So I've got a little challenge for you. When we do eat together today, see if you can touch base with somebody who doesn't come from quite your group. If you're an older person, why not see if you can have a chat with a younger person? If, you're, um, if you were born in New Zealand, see if you can get to know an immigrant. Probably not me, because you can do that any time, right? But, but let's build bridges. Let's build a unity uh, across, across those boundaries that could divide us. Goodness, I told you I wasn't going to tell you what to do, and I am, sorry. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hang on a minute. Can you read that with me? This is what it says. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, they must have got the recipe right somehow, mustn't they? They, couldn't have, they, they didn't get it too wrong because every day people were saved. Here's my focus questions. Do we live like this? Do we get people saved every day? Could we? Oh, should we? Would we want to? What would happen if we did? I, mm, that's what we call revival, isn't it? I want to tell you that we look at that and go, oh, we don't have somebody saved every day, but God is moving in wonderful, wonderful power here in Huntley. Lovely things happen. Lives are changed and transformed. People are coming to God in big numbers. And because of, because of all sorts of reasons, somebody says, so why aren't they here? Well, Maybe they're not, but I assure you that the fact that somebody didn't come in this door today doesn't mean God isn't doing a wonderful work in their life. If you're engaged in the local community, and many of us are, you will know that God is doing lovely things. So be encouraged. Please don't think Jeremy's standing up and saying nothing's happening. It is. Great stuff is happening. And all of this stuff could happen. It could. We could see miracles and the most miraculous miracle of all is transformation of the place where we live let's pray thank you God for this inspiring example of how things could be people are nodding and going oh yes we could do that we should so let's I pray you'd help us to be wise because if we try and copy what they did there will be difficulties there will be problems will arise which I haven't talked about today or have but I pray that we'd be we'd Keep the big picture in our mind. Realise that unity is so worthwhile that it's worth a bit of work, a bit of effort, a bit of difficulty. Please knit us together as one 
so that as the Bible says, we can be an example of unity and how people should get along. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.